Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Uh, before we get started, guys, I want to issue uh, two, not not retractions, but um, I don't know. I want I want to issue two sort of comments on previous episodes. Uh, Joseph, uh, who's a sort of occasional contributor to the to the show, brought to our uh, attention that the obvious parallel from Sucker Punch should be one foot over the cuckoo's nest. We are a podcast for the people and don't see the sort of hoity-toity. Mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. like like Milos Forman's uh book a thing about the movie it's a movie about a book I think and um so that's why we didn't talk about it but thank you Joseph for for reminding us uh the other one that I want to apologize for is Alex you made a point in the Sucker Punch episode about how the the theme of that movie is very much sort of um you make your own reality whatever the circumstances are that you can sort of perceive it in a way that can become empowering. And I want to apologize to our audience for none of us saying no fate, but what we make for ourselves. Sure. Because I feel like that was essentially this podcast's catchphrase for a little while, mm-hmm. <laughs> a few years ago. Um, so yeah, mea culpa, um, aura culpa. And thank you it, for bearing with us uh, in this time. Please. But if uh, you're going to say, uh, if you're going to say the phrase, you've got to say it in, in the, the uh, high pitched Edward long or furlong voice. Oh, I haven't earned that, I don't think. I, I, I think no fate, but is... what we make for ourselves! <laughs> there it is. Oh, deja vu. And, Am and I in a dorm room? What's going on? Britain, Britain, please. Uh, <laughs> no Sotros, Culpa. No Sotros, No Sotros, Culpabamos. We used to be in the habit of apologizing. <laughs> and we still are. Truly um, and truly, so. I'd also like to apologize. Every every podcast episode is an attempt to apologize for the previous <laughs> podcast episode. We, we only just... we only dig deeper. We're yeah. still yeah yeah we we have to clear our way back to the to the beginning, and we'll never get there. Um, I would also like yeah. to apologize because we did spend a whole lot of time before this episode talking about Dick Wolf. Um, <laughs> so like whatever spin whatever comes from that. You know, watch yeah. the space. I don't know. Just truly be, be aware. About to say that both both this uh, this podcast will probably be affected by that in some way, and also in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fair warning. Yeah, uh, we there. are talking about Die Hard Two, Die Harder. Which I, is that the official name, or is it just Die Hard Two? And Die Harder is kind of a. It seems thing. like Die Hard 2 is the official title because that's what is listed in the movie. However, in all of the marketing materials, it's listed as Die Hard 2, Die Harder. I so think... Die Harder seems to be a tagline, but it's... Yeah, I think Die it's Harder... It's heavily tied. Die Harder is the tagline, and they sort of... Uh, like, that made the bold choice of always making that the bigger font or the bigger yeah. display on the marketing material. So, yeah, I sure. Would, <clears throat> I would also... Uh, this uh, this movie really wants to generate a, a, a new crop of catchphrases. Yes. Uh, for old Johnny MC. And I think that much like that, the movie was like, maybe we can get people to call it Die Harder. But we don't... We just want to, like, float it. Like, mm-hmm. what do you... Mm-hmm. What do you think, guys? What if we call this movie Die Harder, like as a joke, and to see if anyone was like, "That's a really good idea." Say that again. <laughs> I I am very glad that nobody tries to say that in the movie. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
certain other things are forced enough. <laughs> yes. Like uh, I, I, the scene where he's on the phone with Reginald Vell Johnson, which is a wonderful scene, sure. and I'm glad we get Powell in here somehow. Um, <laughs> Powell's just like, well, you know, John, when you go up against guys in this kind of situation, they tend to die harder, if you know what I mean. <laughs> like it would, it would just be the worst thing ever, but at least I guess in that case, he'd be delivering the line. So it'd probably be okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Red, he'd find a way. I, I do like that in this movie, he basically gets two Powells, um, <laughs> right? two yeah. new Powells. So I'm guessing in the third one, he'll have, I guess it'll like incrementally, he'll get more yeah. proxy Powells. It, I guess the yeah. the third one I, I it is more of a uh, dual protagonist film with uh, Sam Jackson. Okay. Well, there you hey. go. All right, keep talking. It's really good. No, I can I can <laughs> buy that, and I believe I know who the villain is in that, and I'm quite excited about that as well. Yes. Uh, so Zane Die Hard Malik. two <laughs> as a baby. I was going to say that that was, a, that was a very interesting choice. John McTiernan, you know, he came back to the franchise. He was like, all right, I'm taking the reins on this thing. We're going to surprise some people. <laughs> it's going to be this baby. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it. He's the mastermind behind everything. I'll never see it coming. He's like, Modoc. What? <laughs> I don't think he is. Who's John <laughs> McTiernan is a big Modoc fan. I'll, I'm sorry. I've been interrupting. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Die Hard 2 from 1990, directed by Rennie Harlan. It has a 69% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, nice. And a 70% audience score. All right. Okay. So, yeah. pretty solid. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, And in this one, uh, in case you didn't know, a year after his heroics in L.A., Detective John McClane is mixed up in another terrorist plot. This time at Washington Dulles, Dulles International Airport, where he is waiting for his wife. That same night, South American politico and drug profiteer Ramon Esperanza, not Escobar, is arriving in U.S. custody. McLean takes into action when a treasonous ex-colonel seizes control of the airport, threatening to crash every inbound flight unless Esperanza is freed. Uh-oh. They're not messing around in this one. They they really aren't. I mean, everyone just dies harder. Did you guys also have the moment? I doubt that you did because uh, your brains function a little more uh, typically than mine does. When ah, when Franco that. Nero shows up as Esperanza, did you also have to remind yourself, no, that's not just a sexier version of Zach, Zach Galifianakis? <laughs> <laughs> there are a few points where I was like, there was like a very small part of my brain that went, no, he he would have been too young. He would have been too young. <laughs> He would no. <laughs> that would be really great though if Zach Galifianakis just had this this action movie where he played the com- just completely like no comedy. He is playing yeah. a villain <clears throat> who is it was a drug lord, uh, or or something to that yeah. effect. Uh, and that was just like a random blip that everyone forgot yeah. about in his career. And then he, and the he's like to, oh. between two ferns or whatever. Yeah, well, they didn't let me do Die Hard 3. I guess I'll do stand-up comedy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I want to, as we get into the, this movie, Alex, you told us this movie is basically the first one in an airport. I would agree with that. Um, I do want to start off talking about our sort of main villain. Uh, sure. William Sadler, who I like that he is not just, 
he doesn't feel like Gruber. You know, they like, didn't yeah, try to recapture. He's not, he's not Hans 2.0. Yeah, they didn't try to recapture. I thought William Sadler was really good in this. I thought it was very threatening. And the movie opens with him doing naked uh, mm-hmm. martial arts very slowly in his hotel room. <laughs> and a lot of very careful camera movements. And I was like, this is good. This is a good movie. Because, <laughs> first of all, he looks amazing. His body's You're incredible. But, like, it's it's just so, like, we know we're doing this. This is what the movie is. And, I don't know, I thought Sadler was really good in this. Yeah. Very intimidating. Alex, do you have any opinions on the movie? Um, do you like Die Hard 2? Yeah, I think overall I like this a lot more than I expected to. Um, I had seen this once all the way through several years ago, and I remember being mostly bored by it. I remember there's a lot of just John trekking his way through some snow and it was really really dull and i didn't care about anything that was happening because it was just the first one all over again um but watching it this time i think there's it's clearly not made to the same level of of craft that the first one is and this time i kind of read it as this is what the first one would have been had john mctiernan not directed it if they had handed it kind of just to anyone, it probably would have been a mostly average um, action movie. But I think John McTiernan and kind of his style and his flourishes, I think that's really what helps to tie the first one together. And I'm not saying the script for this one is, is as strong as the, the one for the first one. Um, but I think that I, I can clearly tell in terms of just directorial style that is clearly having an impact on this one. And not to say that Rennie Harlan's a bad director. Um, he's got a very mixed filmography. Um, and I'm sure eventually we'll do, like, if we ever do Nightmare on Elm Street, we'll do his film from that. And he's he's done a few other sequels. Um, but it, this one comes off to me as, like, one of the better examples of if you're, ju- like, we're just going to make the first movie again, but slightly different. This is one of the better versions because at least it's still a competent action movie and it's still successful at what it aims to do. Yeah, I, I had the I was telling Alex this before we recorded the the comparison that I had was it's very much the original Halloween two to the original Halloween, like it really just that that was the comparison I I had where it's like well we don't have John Carpenter didn't do Halloween two right? No. Okay. He uh, he co-wrote the script. That's that was it, it. That's it. Where it's like, yeah, we don't have the original director, and we're just kind of kind of do the same thing again, but with some differences. And it's like, okay, I don't need this, but I don't hate. I'm not mad at it. All right. Yeah, I feel like the comparison I was thinking of was another franchise that we probably will have to strike off eventually. Uh, Jaws two. <laughs> I, oh, okay. Which so I think probably some people. I don't know. I don't know how few people really feel about Die Hard 2, so I don't I don't even have a comparison for that. But um I'm sure there are some people who th- would say Jaws 2 is awful. I have not watched it in forever. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe we'll go back someday and I'll be like, "Wow, I hate this." Um but I remember last time I watched it being kind of like, "Okay, this is, this is fine. It's interesting." Mm-hmm. Um it's it's the same thing, but you know, done differently. <laughs> so that's yeah. new. Uh I I think the biggest thing that kept kind of striking me throughout this is the concept of the first one can't really be beat the just yeah. having that be the the geography of john mcclain stuck in a tower there's a bunch of hostages there's a bunch of terrorists 
he's working with people on the ground. They're trapped across from each other. Like that, that is a problem <laughs> like that, that yeah. the entire time you're watching it, it's like, all right, how is he going to get out of this? Like what, you know, there, there is no, uh, obvious solution and so like the entire time the tension is there of you know what is gonna allow john mcclain to get back on the ground and meet powell and like be reunited with his wife like all of that is in your mind the entire time as as just the foundational layer on anything else that's happening in that movie and this one (laughs) like obviously we're we're rooting for him to figure out the the planes his wife's up in a plane um we we want him to figure out how to save all the civilians. Uh, but like, and, and this happens in the movie, they can just leave. <laughs> so they go to um, a nearby neighborhood that was apparently there when they built the runways out further. And so that's why the villains are hiding out at a church there. Um, So that's just like part of it is that they just leave the airport and they go and suddenly a bunch of stuff takes place outside of the airport. So just, that alone that it's not nearly as tight um concept conceptually there's just it does not hit the same because the tension is not there of like oh god he's he's been stuck up there and and he does not have a way to get out of there because the terrorists are blocking his path um and obviously we we want him again to save the hostages as well but he's in such mortal danger yeah and and we we so want him to have the catharsis of getting back on solid ground like it, I don't know. It's weird. It's almost weird to me that this is about him in the airport and not him stuck in a plane somehow doing things to the terrorists. Like, I, that's strange to me. Maybe that's too close to. I don't know. When did Air Force One come out? Uh, I, I was literally checking on that. That Yeah, 97. Yeah, so like what <laughs> I don't I don't know why that's not maybe they just couldn't they didn't think they'd be able to pull that off cuz that would be difficult to do. Um I haven't really seen all of Air Force 1, so I maybe I don't know if that does it well. Um but uh maybe we can we can make a quick uh a quick layover uh, hey. and, and tackle Air Force 1. Um <laughs> I uh Yeah, I I think that that's just naturally it's okay. He can get out at any time. Everyone who's in the airport can get out at any time the danger is to the people who are in the planes. And obviously we ramp that up by having his wife in one of the planes waiting to land, but it's, it's really not the same in terms of he's being proactive and getting himself out of this situation um, while foiling their, their plot. And it doesn't, it doesn't naturally lend itself to being able to write something that is that tense and that kind of thrilling to see him escape from. Um, that yeah. that really struck me the entire time. Like I think, definitely the the script is not quite up to snuff uh, compared to the first one, which is a hard thing to do. But there's a lot of stuff, like you said, Britain in this script that is very much trying to. We we've talked about examples of this before. Um, I I feel like Johnny Depp almost in Pirates of the Caribbean is a good mm. comparison where they really ramp up trying to trying to capture the original magic yeah. of that character yeah. and and sort of doing weird jokes and things and uh trying to figure out how to write him the same way they did before but you can't really do it because you 
everyone has such expectations and everyone yeah now is thinking about how do i write this character who was written so well instead of how do i write a character let's let's write this character the way i would like to write him like it yeah you're now writing for some for a character instead of creating a character and that i think really changes the dynamic and you'd also written a character that then johnny depp came in and put all of this creativity and weirdness on and now they're trying to write a creative and weird character yes they're writing yeah. when previously they wrote a character and then Johnny Depp interpreted it. And now they're trying to yeah. write for the performance. It just kind of gets messy. Yeah. And, and same um, for, same for Bruce Willis. To- completely. This, yeah. And I, I, they, they have him say yippee Kaye again. And I, I think I said, come on when that <laughs> happened because the, the reason it didn't hit for me was in, in, in the original movie one, I just like the way he says it. It's kind of like a yippee Kaye mother. Like he's kind of, Playful, and they have been doing all this cowboy stuff, him and Rickman going back and forth, like, oh, so you're like Billy the Kid or whatever. He's like, oh, he's like Roy Rogers. And so you understand why he says it. But then in this one, he's about to, and it's a pretty cool stunt where he sets some stuff on fire and the flame goes up into the into the sky and catches the airplane. It's really good. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason for him to say yippee-ki-yay, mf Except for he said it in the previous movie. Sure. And I get from him, but I was thinking about like James Bond. He The reason he says shaken, not stirred and Bond, James Bond is because it's the tradition and the audience needs to hear it. But in the movies, he also says it when he's ordering a drink or introducing himself. Right. He's not like about to kill someone who goes, Bond, James Bond, and then shoots them. You know, so here it's felt like John McClane went, that thing I said two years ago was really cool. I'm going to say it again. It, yeah, it felt a little too in-world catchphrase. It feels like it should be a Bond quip instead of reusing his catchphrase. It feels like he should have something right. clever to say about uh, missing their flight or, or whatever. Totally. Totally. He and, also says it to himself. Yeah. yeah. In the <laughs> first yeah. one, he's purposely saying it to to mess with Hans. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, it, it was just something where I went... There, my favorite catchphrase from this movie off the top of my head is Dennis Franz, who I want to talk about uh, as Carmine, when he says, let's go kick some, and then he says a swear word, but his Chicago accent makes it sound like the letter S. <laughs> like he is just saying the letter S, and I loved it. I think it's so good. It's time to go kick some letter S. Tyler, real quick, I wanted to circle back to kind of your point that you were making about just because of the tweak that they have to make to this premise, it kind of takes a lot of the wind out of the the um, the plot sails, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't quite looking at it through that lens, but it is interesting that you bring that up. I was noticing how the first film isn't a character-driven movie. It is a very much a plot, because most action movies tend to be plot-driven. Um, but it has enough character moments and, and kind of the, there's enough dialogue between John and when he's talking with Powell over the, the radio that there's wonderful character building moments in that. And this one, it felt much more like, no, we're, we just got plot. Just keep sure. going with plot. There, there felt like, and, and maybe it's just because John doesn't have, like he's got several people to talk to, but he doesn't have like one singular relationship yeah. that he's building with anyone aside from, maybe the, the, 
the captain that he that he kind of yells at until the very end and mm-hmm. the captain's like you're right <laughs> yeah. um but uh, i i was noticing that of like okay so aside from the moments where john's kind of joking with himself and he's you know we do have kind of the token sequelitis moments of i can't believe this is happening to me yes. again right right and I wish the movie had had not played its hand with that. I wish it had waited. The moment at the end where he reunites with Holly is wonderful, and she just kind of bursts into tears and goes, why does this keep (laughs) happening to us? That should have been the only moment where they address it. Sure. Um, Because that that whole scene works, and I feel like that would have just, that that, landing that at the end would have been, I I feel like that would have been a bit more graceful. Yeah. but yeah, I just felt like a lot of the small little character quirks and even from the supporting players, like we pointed out, like one of Hans's goons, like goes for a candy bar yeah. while he's getting ready to shoot some people. Like that's a fun little moment. And and this one just felt like more, you know, yeah. more straight to the point. We're trying to, despite this plot being a lot messier than the first one, it somehow is, is at least attempting to be leaner, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Well, I also felt like hit a, uh, uh... Stewart's goons in this one didn't feel as distinct to me. And which is right. funny because I think I actually recognized more of the actors just because it's like, that's Robert Patrick. That's Vondi Curtis Hall. I think yeah. I see John Leguizamo in the background. But like... For like five yeah, seconds. <laughs> Whereas in the previous movie, I didn't recognize a lot of those actors, but I know that... But like, I, I can see them very clearly in my head and I could mm, visually identify right. them throughout the movie. I didn't. My mom actually told me that Carl, the one with beautiful hair, he's actually a, a ballet dancer. Alexander mm-hmm. Gutenhoff, apparently a very accomplished, very famous uh, ballet dancer, like up there with Baryshnikov and all that. Which is who knew? I didn't, but that's cool. Um, he and, should and, have come back in this one. Yeah. That would have been. That would have been great. Do it again. It would have been great if after he does the PKA thing and the plane falls down, like just out of a snowbank, Carl comes up. Yeah, I'm still not dead. <laughs> but then the weird janitor takes him down. Yeah. No, I, I, I generally, I, this is just a collection of, these are bad guys. This right. is the troop of bad guys. And William Sadler stands out very well, but the, oh, but, and then it's just like, that's his crew. <laughs> Robert Patrick yeah, yeah, has I, a, has a one-liner that I liked and I can't remember what it was before he, I, it was like, what, what, oh, he said, like, what do we look like to you? And he says, like a sitting duck. <laughs> and then he shoots Oh, them. yeah, right before they kill all the, the police officers that yeah, are trying to stop yeah. them. Yeah, Or the security guards. Pretty good. Um, Yeah, I felt like even William Sadler, Sadler a little, I mean, he's fine, but yeah. I felt like he wasn't given all that much to do aside from be stern and threatening. And not after, like, for a little while at the beginning, I was like, oh, this guy's, like, really... I'm yeah. really noticing him. But yeah, after a while, he just is sort of saying orders. Like, yeah. I like, I, I, yeah, I like when he's on the, the Air Force controller thing, doing different accents to kind of fool the pilots mm-hmm. into the crowd. Like, all oh, that was really, that was some Grubarian, you know, like, right. clever, oh, I'm going to make this horrible thing happen, but not in just a, I'm going to blow it up. I don't know. I thought that was all kind of neat and, and, and fun. But yeah, after a while... Once, once you get the turn that John Amos is a bad guy. Yeah, I, I felt like overall the the villains were pretty lackluster in this, and that that might be my ultimate kind of a uh, mark on the the negative column for this one is just I I feel like Die Hard is kind of it, the villains make or break 
you know, break it, I, I feel. Sure. And this one, they're, they're not terrible, but they're they're perfectly serviceable. No, I would say there's two things going in their favor that made them pretty effective to me. Uh, and one, I would say I really like the fact that essentially John Amos's crew who gets called in because they're supposed to be the special forces to deal with the terrorist. And then we learn there's a, it's a really great, uh, I, I, th- I feel like it's fairly easy to see the twist coming, but it's still done well in I the agree. movie. Um, where, that's true. I, I, I did actually like that twist quite yeah, a bit where basically, uh, there's a big, sh- a big shootout, but everyone's using blinks and, uh, John McClane discovers this. And then he goes and, uh, shoots at Carmine and he's like, it's blinks. This is, that that's you know th- not not a smart idea to do that when he's yes. surrounded by by officers aiming guns <laughs> Look, at him and then that was everyone very much just like it's a movie whatever and, and everyone goes huh well okay then we'll listen to what this guy has to say <laughs> yeah it's pretty good go on biggest plot holes in die hard to die harder <laughs> john mcclane should have been shot um <laughs> i Rini, why Rooney harlan's writing is amateurish <laughs> uh i like that twist i think that's fun and i like that it's tied in with basically they all are in with esperanza because they all were on a mission in granada i believe is the idea and so yeah they're all basically like we're helping this guy get out um we're all you know working together on this uh there's a fun interplay where uh to throw throw them off the trail um What's John Amos's character in this? Grant. 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 Uh, Grant and and Stewart are on the radio, like throwing barbs at each other because they have history. Mm. Uh, and so clearly, like I think Stewart's like, I want people, I want crew loading up the the plane to prove that it's good to take off. And uh, Grant is like, Stewart, w- you're just going to be taking more hostages. We're not going to let you do that. Like, there's a they're they're faking it and that's fun um and then when they get to the end it's like their reward for this is they get to get him out of there get a bunch of money and go chill in the caribbean <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's fun i like that i think that's a yeah. good um a good like motivation that feels pretty real uh it, kind of in the same way that hans gruber and his crew did where it's like they're really just in it for money um yeah that i think works really well for this group to be like all right, this this general, he's uh, or lieutenant or whoever, he's bitter about the U.S. Army. Uh, he wants out. He's he's turning turning traitor, and uh, he's gonna try and make some money doing it and get on out of here. Um, that all feels really really real to me. It feels realistic, and I like that they're all kind of you know basically sitting back and, and kicking their their feet out on the plane, all excited at the end, like they're just. Like, yep, got off scot free. This is awesome. Um, so I think motivation wise, blow right up, and they blow up very hard, uh, which is a a fun sequence, and I think that works well. Um, we can talk about that, but uh, I think motivation wise, I like that it's not the coolest motivation. It's it's not like the most interesting thing ever, but it's it's fun. It's very humanistic. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd say is that they uh. They are they are threatening in that they follow through on uh, a threat to blow up a plane full of sweet old British people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was not what I was expecting. Um, I I did want to ask how we felt about that. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I felt like it. 
hard to tell when it's crossing a line for a movie like this. But I did feel like that was maybe crossing a line in so much as they mourn those people for like five minutes and then it's quickly forgotten. Yeah, by the end, they're kind of like, we got everyone home safe. (laughs) And Um, like John is so broken up about that. Like he is like completely like just out of it, just depressed out of his mind. And then at the end, it's just like, you know, we're we're just it's fine it's christmas we're we're gonna you know we're playing the music again it's fine (laughs) yeah 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 but as far as the villains go and the the idea behind the sequence is pretty fun because it's fun may not be the right word pretty clever uh in that they mess with the after they've totally taken over the radio systems um, and basically are like we're the only people who can communicate with your planes we're gonna talk to them and we're gonna make them do things that are dangerous to the planes and their passengers um and so they they get to one of the planes and uh they basically hack the plane so that it's onboarding or it's it's landing system is uh thinking that the elevation is going to be lower than it actually ends up being uh and then they they come in and it's super stormy so they can't tell and then they they crash uh and right before this we have a shot that lingers on in the cabin of the plane where we're, we're following a stewardess uh, who's going and, and, and talking with the people like the pilots are excited that they're going to get to land. Finally, they were getting a little worried. Uh, and there's an old lady, an old, old British lady that we zoom in on. And the stewardess is like, Oh, we're going to have a safe landing. It's going to be great. Uh, and so that moment I was kind of like, okay, so John's going to figure out like, he's going to warn this plane. They're going to fly off. And, and that's going to be like the, the fact that they zoomed in on that person. They wouldn't have done that. If, they wanted us to like not be totally heartbroken in the middle of this yeah. movie. Uh, and then, yeah. and then the plane totally explodes uh, and it, it almost kind of fakes you out. Cause they like, they crash and slide and it's kind of, Oh, well maybe the plane's going to be okay. Maybe there'll be some survivors. <laughs> the plane just completely explodes. <laughs> um, One, yeah. Yeah. And it was a weird zoom. Cause I, such that I was like, do I, do we know that character? Right. Is she someone's mom? Uh, what yeah it was it was yeah. bizarre um and and william sadler during that is uh he's he's saying like oh we got you uh windsor we we got you and then like he he repeats it several times and it gets increasingly yeah. more creepy and threatening as as he sort of witnesses them explode um so i think in terms of the the threat factor uh <laughs> that comes across pretty well yeah um so i i did there were moments from the villains that I, I quite enjoyed. Um, not like, again, the not, not, not Hans Gruber, but uh, I felt it was a uh, worthy attempt to follow that up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Totally. I, I, I do think that one, one thing that I noticed that I think that just a tweak would have helped um, kind of improve things for me is that, Stuart is not broken up about any of his men getting killed. And particularly because they built him up as a military man and like his guys are following him for a reason. And, you know, Grant still, you know, still respects him and he's like, it's a tight knit brotherhood. Um, I kind of feel like when, uh, you know, when John first takes out um, like Robert Patrick and, and the kind of that set of guys in that action sequence, I feel like Stuart should like have a more emotional response. Sure. 
Like, it should be like, no, he, this guy's taking out my men. This was our operation. He can't do that. And kind of having that contrast between when it's his men, he cares about it. But if it's just civilians, he doesn't care. Let him die. Sure. I think right. that might have been an interesting nuance to help, help yeah. <laughs> at least, it, it, you know, to, to assist uh, making the villains a little bit more memorable for me. Yeah. Because I remember watching that, and it's like, yeah, back when, you know, in the first one, like when Carl's brother dies, he freaks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, also more of that. There's also a thing where, like, the person who actually messes with the plane systems to cause the crash, he, he seems very sort of shaken up about it, and he's not totally, you know, right. convinced that he did the right thing, because obviously he did not, um, and, and sent a bunch of people to their death, and, like, that never comes that never circles back around that's just yeah. okay some some of his guys are a little hesitant but they go along with it because vacation uh, we're going to the caribbean <laughs> <laughs> what do we think of a a not a not a villain villain the the reporter storyline <laughs> So I want to clarify something real quick. That's the guy yeah. who was the go get him reporter from the previous movie, right? Yeah. Yep. What? When did did Bonnie Bedelia hit him in the mm-hmm. first movie? Because I forgot end. that part. Okay. Because yeah, it's, it happens right at the end. I I don't. Is it after? No, it's not after they kill Carl, right? Isn't it before that? I think. I'm not sure. It happens during that sequence when okay. John and and Holly finally okay. get out of the okay. building and they they meet Powell somewhere in there. Um, Thornburg kind of like gets up in their face and is like, how do you guys feel now that you're out of it? And Holly just socks him. Gotcha. It's great. Okay. Because okay. he went to go track their children down. Oh, that's right. The, that's right. The hostage right. situation. Right. Okay. Because I, first of all, I thought Bonnie Bedelia was, was really good in this. I feel like we, she got to be kind of dry and funny and, and everything. Mm-hmm. That, she did a wonderful job with all of her scenes being just sit in the chair. Yeah. yeah. Really and truly though. Like she's, she's very funny. I think she does a really nice job, like putting him down and, and yeah, whatnot. she does taste um, him. Yeah. She does taste him, which was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and I did like the part where the old woman sitting next to her was like, Oh, you know, people are so crazy these days. I have this taser and I tried it on that SOB and she tested it on her dog. Like that's just a crazy <laughs> sequence. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a or she says that she tested it on her dog. Um, but but I I don't know. All of that was just really interesting that you had like this like smarmy reporter who everyone hates, and he ends up like driving the because he gets on air over the phone because it's the nineties and we have new tech, and mm-hmm. he whips, the movie will not let you forget that mm-hmm. it's set in yeah. the nineties, and and he like whips up the the airport into a frenzy talking about the terrorists and everything. But then I really liked the, um, is it Coleman is the reporter's name who she's the new, I want to be the new ace reporter character. And there's a part where John, like in the like 20 minutes to go when he and Dennis Franz and Dennis Franz's brother are getting in the, the police car to, to go to the, wherever they have to go. And they crash into the T-bone, the cab. And they're like, what do we do? How do we get out of here? And then uh, Willis is like, oh, I can get her help. And he goes, Coleman, Coleman. And there's all this panic going on and screaming. And you just hear her go, hi. <laughs> like, she's so <laughs> casual and friendly about it. I thought that was funny. Yeah. And then they, they hitch a ride in a helicopter. And yeah. 
It was great. That leads into the into John jumping onto the terrorist plane and uh blowing up their fuel line and also shredding John Amos in a yep. plane engine. Yep, no capes. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a moment, and I think it might it might have been after the civilian plane crashes where they're like, We have ninety minutes before they escape. Yeah. And then John proceeds to just run from one end of the <laughs> the, 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 the airport to the other and then back again like several <laughs> times. I was like, you are not telling me the second half of this movie takes place in 90 minutes. That yeah. is just not feasible. I don't think I've ever run from one end of the airport to a other one, but I doubt it. I don't know how many you can make in 90 minutes. I've never been to the Washington Dulles airport. So... So somebody will fact check me. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually possible in 89 minutes. So. <laughs> G- goof. Uh, <laughs> Usain Bolt actually completed this run. <laughs> um, But yeah, I, I did actually like the uh, Thornburg um, airplane subplot. I thought that did a good job of giving us a, a rationale for returning to Holly instead of just cutting mm-hmm. back to yeah. Oh, she's still kind of worried. Yeah. She's yeah, talking yeah. to the flight attendant again. Like we, we, it's not that that kept it from being repetitive. And I actually thought that was a decent way of being like, yeah, this is a sequel. This is the second the second film without feeling like sequelitis. Uh-huh. Yeah. I also like that at least in this movie, we're not already doing the John. I said one. You said you were done with that life. You said you were gonna <laughs> stay home and not do this anymore. Maybe it's just because uh, of the epilogue of Red Dead 2 that I'm used to a, a spouse chiding someone named John for doing violent things or dangerous things. I have to, Holly. It's my job. Sorry, he's not He's not Bill Clinton with a cold. <laughs> that is not how John Marston talks. But, uh, but that you... I, I like that you created this scenario again where John is just swept up in it. Um, and that... They are just trying to get back to each other. I don't know. I like that part. Yeah. And like the reunion. Yeah, I, I like that. I like it's her. it's. Yeah, it's purely just like happenstance again. Yeah. And I'm. You know, honestly, I, the third film is less so just happenstance. Sure. Um. There's a, there's more to the plot than that. Um. John McClane's like, a hitman now. Mm-hmm. For for the mob. <laughs> I do feel like this could easily go too far in terms of, like, if you made, like, I'm just imagining if they kept making one after the other, like, every couple of years in the 90s like this, and, like, they get to, like, Die Hard 6 or whatever, and it's, like, the year 2000, and it's like, oh, John's coming across a wacky plot again. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can only do this so many times, and I feel like this is this is done well enough that it's not... It's not and too much of a problem. It is it is happenstance, but it's also John being very proactive in getting himself put sure. inserting himself into the situation, which I think is something they do pull really well from the first movie in terms of writing the character. Uh yeah. in that first movie he's constantly looking for ways to help the people on the ground and help the hostages and, and uh, there are moments where it's kind of okay, you can sit back, you've done it you you've help is on the way we're going to get you figured out and then he's listening in and realizes something went wrong and so then he he goes and tries to fix the situation on his own um <clears throat> and they and that makes for a really compelling character to watch just in general 
And I think that comes across really well in this one too, that he's always like, all right, how am I, how am I going to get involved in this? Like these people are shutting me out. They're not letting me up into the control tower anymore. I'm going to escape through the elevator uh, so I can, you know, continue searching and and figuring out what's going on and um, trying to track down these terrorists. I thought it was a little strange that once they, he and Barnes, who is the like radio specialist, uh, once they kind of figure out, oh, we're pretty sure the terrorists are in this neighborhood. They don't try to flag down the like they don't explain this to the control tower or anybody. Like they don't yeah. try to communicate this back. I mean, I and obviously they have a very antagonistic uh relationship, or or at least John McClane does with everyone who's in charge of the operation. But that that felt a little strange to me that they go it alone. Probably doesn't ultimately well, matter think, in the grand course of things. But if I remember correctly, I, I do think they discuss that and they basically say, you know, if we if we do tell anyone else, they'll just stop us. They won't let us go. So they're like, mm-hmm. we will go there, confirm that the, the terrorists are there and then we'll call it okay. in. Maybe I missed that. I think I want to say that's the idea. OK, well, it's fine. Um, It's fine. But in the larger scheme of things, he's doing a lot of things where he is trying to figure out a way to affect the situation positively for everyone involved. Um, Like, I love him running out and and finding something to burn uh, for the plane. Um, I really like convincing you that he's going to pull it off. uh, You know, when when you see him running out there, it's like, all right, here we go. Here's here's John McClane back at it Um, and how he he manages to get on Esperanza's plane. That's fun. Uh, even though he ultimately, <laughs> that, that is a little silly because then he uh, ends up getting in an ejector seat and yeah. away from a grenade explosion, which is fun. Yeah, and a great effect. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. It's, it's not as bad as it no, could have been. For 1990. No. It feels very much like a 3D, ooh, yeah. po- mm-hmm. something popping out of the screen kind of thing. And I don't think that would have been the case for any showings of Die well, Hard 2. But. <laughs> all I know is it's a wonderful gift to use when a conversation is getting heated online and you just want to get yeah. on out of there. Yeah. There you go. Um, also, Die Hard 6 in the year 2000 would have been someone like a young Tobey Maguire is like an upstart hacker who's trying to make Y2K happen for real. Yeah. You're... You're not that far off from one of them. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. okay. Is it Kevin Smith? Is it the one with Kevin Smith? <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, I do really like how much this movie not only focuses on 90s technology, but calls it 90s technology because yeah. I, I was messaging y'all while I was watching. It really works uh, in hindsight because it's not oh, we got these fancy new fax machines. Oh, man, yeah. you you know, John, you got to get used to those. They're here to stay. It's, it's John, it's the 90s. You got to use a fax machine. And so in, <laughs> in 2022, you can look back on it and be like, yep, still, yeah. still correct. I if I was in the 90s, I would have to use a fax machine. We <laughs> like, might have a fax machine at the library where I work. I'm still not sure. I sure. feel like I hear people talking about it the way they talk about ghosts. Like, you know, they say... There is a fax machine somewhere, but you have to talk to the right it's like, person. It's like f- flavor text when you're talking to the civilians <laughs> of a town in a video game. Yeah, for RPG. sure. Yeah. 
but like there is an easter egg you have to put a key in both two locks and turn them opposite yeah. directions yeah, yeah yeah for sure uh rifton mm-hmm. how did you guys feel about I won't say the maturity, but just it was the film was more graphic and it had harsher language. The language like is it, it leans really it leans crazy, more yeah. into the R rating. And yeah. I wasn't like offended or anything, but there's a it's like f bombs and GD and like all oh, is constant in this movie. Yeah, um, I had to turn the volume down so my roommate wouldn't hear. He's very sensitive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it was wild. Like Dennis Franz especially, <laughs> just letting it fly. Um, I don't know it. The none of the violence really perturbed me, and I think it's because like the most graphic thing that happens in the movie is John Amos getting sucked into the wind turbine, mm-hmm. or the no wind turbine, the the jet engine. But like that felt like it had to be cut. But like that, the way yeah. it's edited feels like the MPAA said cut that down. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is a half second shot at most. Yeah, because <laughs> it ended up being like you you can tell that he goes in, and then you see the blood splatter. You you don't. Yeah. It's not there's not like viscera or anything, and so I, no, no other violent moments are jumping out at me right now. Um, but I guess like the original, the first movie, the only really violent, violent thing in that was uh, Takagi getting shot. Yeah, and I th- I think just the image of John just kind of covered in blood at the end of the movie. Sure, sure. Um, but the yeah, the language definitely stood out to me, and I was like, wow, yeah. all right. I mean. I do feel like the movie does have a little bit of a defense for this with kind of the overall setup being it's Christmas Eve at one of the busiest airports. Like I, I appreciate like Christmas Eve. Oh, there you go. Um, but just the fact that you've already got like a very stressful pressure sure. cooker situation with just like, it's a super busy airport and people need to get to their flights and there's bad weather coming in. So everyone is already on edge. Yeah. Um, so I, I I like that the the movie leans into kind of the stressful aspects of that, if nothing else. Sure, sure. Instead of just it's a party. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and and there's that there's is a deleted scene from the first movie where Mr. Takagi says, "No cussing. Remember, <laughs> you don't get to open your white elephant present if if you do a cuss. No, 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 no. We will have a gratuitous shot of nudity, but we will not do any curses." He's got a giant banner displayed above the party, and Hans walks in and says, we'll play by your rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hate to be an, insen- an insensitive guest. Uh, yeah, Hans is also funny, and uh, William Sadler is not in this movie. Sure. He's just kind of mean. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah the movie like... really is just relying on Bruce Willis just saying stuff to himself, yeah. and then... The Holly Thornburg stuff, that that's all pretty funny. Well, yeah, um, yeah. But everything else is very much played straight. We do need to address Marvin, who I think I like. Sure. Oh, oh is he the creepy janitor? The creepy janitor. I don't feel like he's in it enough. Just well, like Iwo that's Jima, why that I guy? Don't, yes, that's why I don't like or don't dislike him is because he's mm. not in it that much. And that feels yeah. like a character <laughs> that could be in it a lot more. And that like that feels like a character that bruce willis could be talking to over the radio at the end of the movie sure. for some reason like trying to use him as his powell like that feels like a character they could really play up and be like there's our comedic relief and 
yeah. someone for Bruce Willis to bounce things off of. Um, but in a just... much dumber movie, Marvin would be the one flying the helicopter at the end. Yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly. And he would be part of the action scene. Like, it would extend beyond just, we're going to drop John on the plane and leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but instead, he just says some silly things. Uh, yeah. And they're not, like... I don't know. It's fine. Yeah, he's just like... He's the weirdo that lives in the bowels of the airport and wants yeah. a coat or something. Because the think, between, yeah, it's like they took Al and split him into Marvin and Barnes. Because Barnes is right. the sidekick who's like, I'm with you and I'll help you and do whatever I can and et cetera, et cetera. I'm the only person working here who is talking some sense. Yeah. yeah. But none of, like, I don't know. And do admittedly, you... to say you can't top the Al and Bruce or the Alan John uh, relationship in Die Hard one is super. Of course you can't like, it's right. fantastic. But well, I mean, yeah, like you watch that scene where they're talking and, and Oh, it's Al's, so much fun. Al's eating a Twinkie and that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're just watching that and you're like, can they, I almost wish they had found more ways to, to sneak him in this. I, I, I maybe that's, maybe that's too cynical. Maybe that wouldn't have worked, but I, I kind of want that. I feel I did have the thought when he showed up. I was like, is he going to be like a big, a big main player through a lot of this? Because I felt like that was going to end up being really forced. But I like that. That's just early on in the movie. He uses him yeah. as kind of a way to um, do some faxing. And yeah. <laughs> it's, get... it's a wonderful way to show how um, kind of creative John is in trying to find a solution and yes. also kind of leaning into the resources around him. And just having an entertaining way of getting uh, exposition across. Yeah. And, and a way to be like, look, they're still friends. Like, this this friendship that they started in the first movie, they're still buddies. Like, a year later, they're still hanging out and, you know. Well, I, I like the subtle detail that, that John is now a police officer in yeah. um, mm-hmm. L.A., which the sequels will not stick to, but I, I like that it's here, <laughs> at least, in this film. Because, yeah. one, it, it, it does the smart thing of... He moved to be with his family as opposed to forcing them to come back to New York. And he's like, right, no, right. if this is where your home is, this is where I'm going to be. Like, that's nice. Um, yeah, I, I messaged you guys that he was working overtime to get all that exposition out in the first two minutes of the movie. Um, but it ultimately, is, you know, it's fine when the guy gives him a parking ticket. It's like, what do you mean? Come on, I'm an LAPD and I moved to L.A. and then my wife and we're in Washington and it's 1990 and Christmas Eve. It's efficient. Like, yeah, it's like, you know what? Cool. Yeah, um, and that is a fun bookend because he gets yeah. the ticket at the beginning of the movie and that ends up being the cop that gives him the ticket or the, I guess, security guard, I don't know, uh, ends up being Carmine's brother, Yeah, which gets revealed later, which doesn't really have a ton of impact, but then Carmine at the very end is like, hey, it's Christmas, no no ticket. Yeah. Um, And then they drive off in the golf cart with Marvin. <laughs> fun. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, um, last crusade moment no ticket and <laughs> everybody just pulls yeah. theirs out correct i am um, i do want to mention talk about carmine i so he's played by dennis franz dennis franz is an actor who i i think this might actually be the first time i've seen him in something but i feel like i have known of him my entire life he was on a show called nypd blue in the 90s it was a cop show the blue is stands for the blue uniforms the officers wear and Th- this was was this created by Dick Wolf? I do not believe it was. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> I really though, I'm not sure. 
Look, um, I, I know yeah, we said we it. talked about this before the podcast. I had an existential crisis when I saw that there were 22 seasons of whichever <laughs> Law & Order there was. I like, mm-hmm. I was just like, we're all going to die eventually. <laughs> oh, no, it was... Uh, <laughs> and there's 22 seasons of this Law & Order show. <laughs> no, it was it was uh, Stephen Bochco. Although, uh, David Milch also worked on it, who created Deadwood. Good, good, good TV. Everybody oh, there you go. Well. And Matt Olmstead, who co-created Chicago uh, Med. Anyway. Um, it's, it all comes back to death. And the crossover, Medwood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. Um, thank you. So, no, the, uh, and then the spinoff, Firewood. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> we got to stop this. We got to stop the show. Wood PD. Uh, it was a Dutch elm. I knew it. Check check the rings. How old are we talking? Must be 50, 60 years. No way. Dutch arm disease? Nah, too obvious. This one had root rot. David Milch? David Milch, M-I-L-C-H. More like David Mulch. Oh, guys. <laughs> we, should, we should be making television. <laughs> <laughs> that would be our contribution. We would change all the credits to make puns. Yeah, um, exactly. Kind of like a Simpsons thank- Treehouse of Horror episode. Yeah, thing you were uh, saying about NYPD, <laughs> yes, it, so which was allegedly not created by Dick Wolf. Uh, yes, supposedly. Um, <laughs> perhaps I'll come up with a new name, Stephen Bochco. <laughs> That's it. That's a name. But but it, Dennis France was on the show called NYPD Blue, and he won like four Emmys for it. And I've never seen an episode, but it was this huge show in the '90s, and I feel like it was something that I. Even as a kid who had to have no reason to watch it, I would have just known about it. Like, it was that heavy in the air and it was that widely advertised. So, like, I have seen, like, Dennis Franz's face to me feels like a childhood memory in a weird way. And it was neat getting to see him in this. And I have a real fondness for actors who just have, like, a strong regional accent, whether it's talking about Deadwood, like William Sanderson and uh, uh, W. Earl Brown, or whether it's this, where he's just got this great Chicago thing going like i just find it really fun i think he's 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 fun in the movie he's just like contentious and cantankerous and doesn't want to help john um until he does but i i don't know i just i i enjoyed the performance um and it was kind of nice like not coming full circle but like yeah this guy who i've known of my entire life now i'm seeing him in something and he's fun and i like him and also he was a lot of his scenes early on were with fred thompson who is the air traffic control guy who was uh, on Law & Order for a while uh, by Dick Wolf. And he was... I've just got to breathe. I've just... I've, <laughs> just I've, breathe yeah. through it, man. Just got to breathe. Um, and he, uh, much like a wolf, needs to pant. You just just breathe through it. Um, <laughs> he uh, was a, a senator from Tennessee um, at some point. I think he was like an attorney, then an actor, then a senator, then an actor again. Like, just, <laughs> just kind of went through different stuff. Ah, I'm bored of cameras. I'm going to go hang out at Congress for a while. Ah, all right, back to TV. See if young Sheldon's got any gigs. <laughs> so, that's, um, this has been another episode of uh, IMD Britain. Hmm. That was do, very do. good. <laughs> <laughs> Die hard. Yes. Uh, 
Do we have anything else to say about Die Hard 2? Did we feel like this was... Where, where are we at with suspension of disbelief? Because one of the, the kind of things that, that people like to point to is just how each movie gets more and more ridiculous to the point where uh, John McClane becomes like a, an invincible superhero um, towards the end. How, how, do you, how are you guys feeling about that right now? I will, I will say, I feel like the previous movie is definitely an, a Hollywood action movie where things go better and more smoothly and more crazily than they would in real life. But that's fine because you're watching a movie. But that movie also feels fairly grounded that I can buy that even though this is a movie character, he is definitely the movie version of a police officer caught way in over his head. Right. I still buy that he's a police officer in over his head. And this one does feel more expanded and more sort of hyperbolic. It doesn't have the same amount of grounding for me, but it, because I've heard the same thing Alex, you're talking about, uh, it didn't, this movie didn't seem to commit that as much as I'm sure the later movies will. Yeah. Um, where John McClane just becomes an action character as opposed to a character in an action movie. Right. So there's still a lot of shots of him looking like he's in pain and yeah. just generally not having a good time. And, Right. Covered in, in blood and, and wounds and such. And he, uh, by the, I feel like by the end, because he, um, I, does he fall off the plane? I guess he kind of lets he himself. Kind of, yeah, get, yeah. Kicked drunk. off of it, I yeah. think. Yeah, lets himself get kicked off the plane after Because William Sadler's like, we had a setup of me knowing martial arts. I got to use it right. now. <laughs> um, and he lights the, the fuel, the line of fuel in the snow that is left from the plane um which i i when that happened i was kind of like when that scene happened and you open the fuel line i was kind of like okay so the plane's gonna you know fly off and crash immediately because the, it's out of fuel or whatever uh so that i will say that the him lighting the fuel so that it goes up to the plane through the snow and, and blows up the plane that was a little a little crazy for me i was mm -hmm. i was not thinking that's how that was gonna play out um but it's fun uh, and when he does that and is lying in the snow, it it does. I was kind of like, is he gonna die here? <laughs> is he just kind of like, <laughs> like, all right, my job's finished. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have a long nap. Um, yeah. And, and at the end, even when he's crying out for Holly, uh, he he seems just like a totally broken man who's yeah. just trying to find his wife. Um. So I, I think that still, and that was something Alex, you talked about with the last one of like how it still keeps it believable and interesting when you've got the hero clearly dealing with pain and, and wounds and overcoming that. So uh, I think it really stuck to that and that continued to work for me. No, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I think really it's just kind of two moments. It's it's the, you know, the uh, um, ejector seat yeah. bit. Where it's just like, okay, that's, I guess it's fine. It's <laughs> whatever. I, it, uh, for that, I was more questioning the timing. Cause they're just like, we're going to throw all of our grenades in there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they don't go off for like three minutes. Well, I think <laughs> the idea is they're throwing a good amount of time to escape. Yeah. I think the idea is that they're throwing all the grenades in without setting them off. And then the last one they throw, they're like, "All right, run!" And then they throw. I th I thought that too, but it's it's a it, I, I thought it was a little unclear. Sure, but the way that they react when they throw the one that does blow up immediately sure. is 
makes me think that that was the idea. So. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, the the bit where he blows up the plane at the end, I'm like, I don't, it's cool, <laughs> but I don't know if yeah. that's even possible. I don't know if that's how that would work. Right. It's funny how with, and obviously you, you, you greet every movie on its own level, hopefully, and different movies have different sort of margins where like going outside of a margin for this movie is different than would be in that movie. Cause it's, it's funny how we're like, I don't know this guy, he, you know, did an ejector seat out of a plane and he set on a fire. It's a little, seems a little wacky for me when not too many episodes ago, we were like, yeah. And then a giant starfish shows up and it totally works and makes sense and is awesome. Because you just set yourself up for different levels right. of what of right. what each movie is going to promise you, and I, yeah, uh, it's like uh, I know some people don't like when uh, Legolas shoots the arrows into the Mumakil's uh, leg and then climbs up them mm-hmm. in Return of the King. I think that's great, and I totally buy it. Or when he skates down on the shield and yeah. at Helm's Deep, I think it works. But yeah, you know. I do want to highlight just I, I think Bruce Willis's performance is just as good as the first one. I, um, I Yeah, I do continue to like him maybe well, yes, more than I like McLean. Yeah, I think he continues to bring his A game to this. Yeah, and it's I, I, I'm so glad that it didn't feel like a thing where he was just like, yeah, I'm just getting paid for the sequel. I'm just going to fill sure. it in. It's very it's very clear that he likes John McLean yeah. as mm-hmm. a character and he wants to kind of keep that moving forward. So. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, I think um, that's that's all I have for for uh, Die Harder. The yeah. the Die Harder Part Two. Yeah, Hard Two: A Die Story. Yes. Um, what are y'all thinking for grades? I'm going B minus. Oh, that's funny because I am also going oh. B minus. Snap. I'm gonna go. S- See, it's kind of you I'm know. Always, I'm want to leave myself some room. Sure, sure. I'm always excited when I give a grade and then Alex gets the same grade because then I'm like, he takes this seriously. <laughs> I, I thought about it and I gave the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's Alien Three, in which case I my answer is correct and his is not. Um, <laughs> I don't think... you use my grade as a barometer. <laughs> yes. I don't think I have a recommendation. I do recommend, I'm going to just blow up the order here. I do recommend that you uh, go to herecomethesequels.blogspot.com, that you uh, check us out on Twitter at HTTSequels, that you email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com, um, and check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcast and the Die Hard 2 website, which, if that exists, I'll find a way to get us on there. I'll hack their mainframe. Change the uh, calculation. It's, it's for sale. Oh, oh it, snap. Diehard2.com. Die well, that hard two makes this so much easier. The domain is for sale for $19.95, which is should should be $5 <laughs> less. $1,995. So we can start a payment plan, die get a Patreon going. Com? Yeah. And that could be ours. I'm also just gonna look. Alex, do a, do a recommendation while I see oh. if there's a Die Hard 2 website. Sure. Um, I think I had mentioned this last week, but I started the dropout and I ended up finishing it, and it's absolutely wonderful. If you like those types of uh, you know, true crime um, miniseries type things, that that it's definitely 
it works on that level. Amanda Seyfried's absolutely great. And there's just a bunch of really interesting actors that show up in it. Um, Kurtwood Smith, who I know as the dad from that 70s show, and Clarence Boddicker from RoboCop, the greatest villain in all of movie history. Um, he shows up and he's absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, just very well acted. And I, I the whole Theranos scandal and all that, I, I found very, very um, enthralling. And I think it, the, it does a very good job of making her, Elizabeth Holmes, kind of trying to paint her as a real human being while also going... But at a certain point, she became completely delusional and was like a complete fraud and everything she did was terrible and she should be ashamed of herself. Like, it, it very much ends up condemning her very harshly at the end um, instead of being like, no, there's like a weird gray area where maybe she was actually a good person after all. <laughs> it's it's not it's not really playing on that level. So, yeah, I definitely liked it. And it's not that long. And I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but there's a scene where one of her roommates walks in with a bong and a DVD copy of Vanilla Sky. And I was like, all right, this is the show for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, if anybody can reference Vanilla Sky, you've immediately got me hooked. <laughs> I know. Well, and we're recording this on April 19th, so we don't interfere with Alex's plans tomorrow. I am. <laughs> <laughs> we planned it perfectly. <laughs> Uh, before I do my recommendations, I do have a news bulletin. I could not find an actual website for Die Hard 2, Die Harder, but there was a video game uh, that looks like an arcade-style point-and-like shooter, like shooting gallery kind of game, and I do recommend everybody head on over to a video streaming website and look at some of these playthroughs uh, and see. Just, just, just take it in. Just take in Die Hard 2, Die Harder, the video game uh, that mm-hmm. you can play. And uh, on the Amiga, probably. Oh, yeah. My recommendation, I am I watched, uh, I actually watched a couple of movies this week, but not, neither did I like enough to do a full recommendation. So I will also recommend a television series that is called Severance. Uh, you might have heard about this. Apparently, it's being talked about quite a bit, uh, which is great. It's an Apple TV Plus show. Um, the first season is all aired, all nine episodes of uh, steadily decreasing length. Um, I, I won't go into the premise if you don't already know. It's kind of, it's not hard to explain, but I want to be brief. Um, but it's wonderful. It's kind of Philip K. Dick. Uh, tonally, I got a little bit of Westworld, a little bit of Squid Game. I even got a little Bioshock Infinite in one particular element, which is exciting. Um, it's just really, really effective. It starts out as a very dark comedy, um, but then it, and it doesn't ever lose the comedic elements, but it focuses much more on being a drama and being a thriller, and it is very effective at being those things. The comedy is very effective. The cast is fantastic. Uh, Adam Scott, it really is a great showcase for what a good actor he is, not just with comedy. Britt Lower, Zach Cherry, John Turturro, who is always wonderful, and uh, Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette, Trammell Tillman, just a ton of great actors doing really good work it looks fantastic it's one of my favorite tv scores that i've heard in a while um and it is just a really it 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 starts off as a very like slow burn in a good way like where you're you're just kind of it it does a really good job at like raising questions giving you information and then raising another question but still giving you a little bit more so you never feel like you're just being led around a maze without any kind of direction um but it also doesn't give you so much as you're like, all right, I figured out where this is going, at least for me. 
Um, I'm really looking forward to season two. Ben Stiller directed six of the nine episodes, and I think Eva McArdle did the other three. Um, Ben Stiller, uh, they both do, but Ben Stiller did a very good job directing this TV show. Um, I am a big fan of it. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. I also started watching Chicago Med, which I'm going to recommend viewers check out if they want to, uh, just to have a, a frame of reference for what could at one point be coming. I don't know. That sounded like a threat. It, you <laughs> so know what? what? I mean, I don't know. I didn't mean it as a threat. I just want you to know that like maybe like Tyler was saying, watch this space. Yeah. I did look up the images of Die Hard 2, the video game, and that's it looks pretty good. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's not true. That was not the answer I was expecting. (laughs) It would not it would not probably be any sort of playable to anyone who's played a Call of Duty. But um (laughs) it looks very nineties and I appreciate it. It does look like Edward Furlong would slam his hands on at the end before leaving in a scene in Terminator 2. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, we d- well uh, we did it again, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing another... but n- nothing but bangers. N- nothing but net the internet that is, which is where we live. Yeah, and frankly, God, we all do. It's these things, these phones. <laughs> what you looking at, Alex? I I'm looking at screenshots of Die Hard Two <laughs> the video game. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like the idea of being like these phones and holding up a um. Like a wired telephone, with <laughs> like a, a rotary, dial. yeah, a rotary phone. <laughs> oh, it's these that's, things. I that's, ju- yeah, dear dear listener, that is what Britain is currently doing. Yeah, for sure. Shaking just his fist at down. his rotary Ugh. phone. Yeah. The uh, a little girl at work one day said, "Why do we have at the library?" Said, "Why do we have cell phones? Like, why why do we have them?" And I said, "Well, you know, so if you want to talk to your friends or call your parents to come pick you up, I don't know." And she goes, you know what I call a phone? My feet. Because I walk over to my friends and then we talk. And she will save us all. Yeah. Did you you think she liked Die Hard 2 Die Hard? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? We didn't get to it. We were were too busy talking (laughs) about it. I really like after a long flight, I like to take out my phone and I rub it in the carpet. (laughs) <laughs> it really just makes me feel at home that's what i, yeah, I talk i used to talk to kids about what i would do my flight protocols all right now listen up kid do you have pete the cat let me tell you i want to get there an hour before boarding <laughs> listen <laughs> and then i would just give a movie contract uh tips mm-hmm. always ask for a piece of the gross not the net the net is fantasy in a way, there's nothing but net. I already did the joke, Alex. Were you not? Were you once again not listening? He's yes, too busy too looking up more screenshots of Die Hard. Actually, you know what? No, I've stepped up my game. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking at screenshots. I'm playing on an emulator. I'm playing it right now. <laughs> Whoa! Do you guys think Dick Wolf Probably. has ever made a video game? Yes. What's and I hope that? it was called Chicago Game. Chicago <laughs> Game. <laughs> Law, law and order game i'm certain there have been licensed products no yeah, oh be. god if you search dick wolf video game uh the first thing is the company behind law and order is bringing its storytelling savvy to nfts <laughs> <laughs> these nfts weave a tale 
I, 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 I have no further commentary on this or anything else. I've been Alex. <laughs> oh, I've been Tyler. Goodness. I've been Britain. And uh, you are having a good night. And the Dick and Dick Wolf is the reason why you're having a <laughs> you're having a Dick Wolf night. <laughs>